Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by Omelettes. Are you tired of runny eggs, scrambled eggs, eggs benedict, poached eggs, eggs and ham? Then try Omelettes. Omelettes are fantastic because they literally fold over all of the food on your plate into one egg sandwich. It's an egg sandwich without the bread. It's paleo friendly. Try it at a diner near you. Raymond, before we get started, why don't you let them know where they could find us? You can like us at facebook.com slash the goldcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at the goldcast underscore as well as Instagram at the goldcast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same name of the goldcast. And be sure to hit that subscribe, leave a review, and or comment. And do us a favor and spread the word if you like what you hear. If you don't like what you hear, let us know because we're always interested in making ways to improve. Heck yeah, man. All right, here we go. We're about to get into it. A lot, lot, lot of stuff to get into. We, um, we, were, uh, I was, we had to postpone the gold cast because I got married this weekend. You know, mazel. Booyah. There we go. That's done. And a great day, but unfortunately, uh, booyah, exactly. Unfortunately, I, uh, we weren't able to record at the time we wanted, but we're going to talk about the 49ers' frustrating loss against the Arizona Cardinals, then followed by D. Wade moving to the Cavs, and then a little thank you to Matt Kane. So here we go. Gold cast intro. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom. Ah, oh, what another frustrating loss. I'm sure it's, we're recording this on Wednesday night, October 4th, so if you're listening to this, you've probably heard, you've probably heard this ad nauseum several different times, the frustrating, frustrating loss that was the... 49ers against the Cardinals. Final score, 18 to 15. Raymond, let's get into it. It was, uh, it was a rough one. It was a rough one for sure. So let's uh, let's let's get into it. Let's start talking first. Your greatest finalist in the game. What did you see? What are your thoughts? To me, I feel like on the optimistic side, you could say. Look, if you take one or two plays within not only this game against Cardinals, but in the last three games, the Niners could easily be three and one. So, which is a far cry from any attempt at making a similar similar analysis to the last three seasons. So we've the point is we're competitive, but on the downside, we're still a step ahead, a step behind you know, being a good team, you know, we're a competitive team, but we're not necessarily a good team yet because we still don't have the polish and prowess to finish plays that need to be finished. And so it's a lot of self-inflicting wounds. I feel like the Niners are beating themselves. We, uh, we put out a gif earlier this week that kind of perfectly described the Niners. It was, it was a boxing match between two boxers. And one of the guy went to, uh, he went to uppercut the other boxer and the boxer kind of dodged him and the uppercut just went straight back into the the boxer's face. And that's kind of how it feels like with the Niners where we're taking good swings, where we're making an effort to try to knock out the other opponent. But in the end, 
we kind of get into our own way, whether it's an offensive line holding that negates a touchdown, whether it's a defensive pass interference or illegal contact penalty that puts the off the opposing offense within field goal or red zone range, or it's a quarterback who either throws a touchdown or overthrows a pass. So it's a mixture of everything. You can't put it all on one thing. You know, I know a lot of fans will look to the quarterback because it's obviously the most pivotal position. It's the hardest position to play in sports. So I understand where people are coming from when they try to kind of single out Brian Hoyer as the single worst problem. And I get it. If we had a great quarterback, we would, you know, a good quarterback is going to put you in a position to win games versus a bad quarterback. You know, you have a better chance. If the rest of your team is lackluster, a good quarterback will give you a better chance, you know, a lot, a lot better chance than other, than other, you know, positive factors. But, you know, the defense is doing their job at, at the very least, you know, they're keeping us in games. They helped the Cardinals, which is a pretty good offense to nothing but field goals until the very end, till overtime, took overtime just for the Cardinals to beat us. So that's saying something, but at the same time, I think uh, I think we're our own worst enemy, especially when I look at the last three games. So, Ray, I want to talk to you about something. There's been a lot of fuss online about Brian Hoyer's ability to succeed when coming out of play action, and then his inability to succeed when he's not in play action. Break this down. Break this down for the average fan that doesn't understand what that means. Like, why is that a bad thing? So, you know, so there's a part of me that goes, well, then, as a guy who doesn't understand that. There's a part of me that goes, well, why can't he just do play action every play then? If he's really good at it, why doesn't he just do that every play? Does that make him too one-dimensional? Does that make it too obvious? Why, why is this such a problem that he's only that his passer rating and his passing ability excels in play action but doesn't when he's just in a traditional pocket stance? What is the difference, and why is that a problem? Well, play action is a way more dynamic version of your average pass play because you're— for somebody who doesn't know, I know you're, you know, most fans, I'm going to assume you guys know what play action is at its basic fundamental level. But to just speak in layman's terms to anybody that doesn't understand what it is, play action pass means that you are kind of doing an, a play action, meaning you're you're going to pretend to give an action to the running back. You're going to pretend to run the ball when in actuality you're going to pass. And the reason why it's so effective is because it goes hand in hand with effective running. Meaning, if you're running the ball really well, it opens up play-action pass. You can't do play-action pass to open up running. It doesn't necessarily work that way, at least not in a traditional sense. So in order for play-action pass to even happen, you have to be running the ball well. And Hoyer excels at play-action pass versus otherwise because play-action pass gives – you get more time in protection because the defenders have – devoted, you know, a second or a half second or even more to the fake play, the running play. And the same thing happens in the passing game with the second and third level, more or less I'm referring to the secondary. So even then, if a good play action pass will create the will create a delay in, in all of the defenders if it's done well. Ideally, that's supposed to what happened. Everyone kind of fakes on the run. And all you need in the NFL, because these are all like Olympic caliber athletes, is one second. That one second delay will allow your receivers to get into open positions. And because Hoyer, being the mediocre quarterback that he is, he's going to have an extra second in his pass protection. And he's going to have open lanes to pass through. And because his vision is limited, because there's really only 10 quarterbacks that have really good passing vision, that can, meaning passing vision where they can, 
you know, thread balls and cut seams and go in between defenders with surgical precision on a consistent basis. Whereas everybody else in the league really is kind of hit and miss half the time, 60% of the time, you know, uh, that's about the range that they're in where the elite passers will be like 65 to between 65 and 75% of the passes. And so with Hoyer, he, that's, he does well because he's, he's got extra time to throw and he's got easier throwing lanes to, to see. And when he doesn't have the play action pass, he's got to thread the ball more. He's got to be far more accurate because the coverage is more tight and he's going to have less time to throw because defenders, defenders know right when the ball snapped that they have to get him. So their only job is to sack the quarterback versus in play action pass. They think they're going to go after the running back for a split second. Then they go, Oh, it's not, it's not a run play. It's a pass play. And the reason, and some people say like, well, how come we did play action pass this one game, but we didn't do it in this other game. And then we lost. Why don't we just stick to play action pass? Well, it's not that easy. Unfortunately, you know, the average fan sees the tree, not the forest. And if Hyde or any of our other running backs are not running the ball effectively, then we can't do play action pass because we can't we haven't we haven't run effectively to the point where they have to think about the run. If we're not running effectively, then they can put up a defensive front that will that is enough to take care of our mediocre running attempt for that game and then sit back and defend the pass easily. Meaning like, okay, we we know that you have no chance running against us. So what we're going to do is we're going to sit in these zones here and then we're going to dare you to try to thread between our defenders and try to beat our coverage with your receivers. And the f- point is the 49ers do not necessarily have the personnel to effectively do both of those things, you know, game in and game out. We saw a lot of it in against the Rams, but that was against you know, two different defenses that were really, really tired coming off of just, you know, half a week's rest. We saw more, we saw a much better version of that Sunday against the Cardinals. Although I thought we were a lot more effective against the run than, than Arizona was against us. And, but the problem is we couldn't get into the end zone. And the couple times that we were thinking that we were getting close, we either had penalties that pushed us out of that range or we had, a penalty that actually took away a touchdown from us. And it's really, really frustrating. Those are self-inflicting wounds. It's not like the the defense beat us. We beat ourselves in those plays. Because if you take those plays back, we either have an additional field goal or we have an additional touchdown. That's 10 extra points. Where And that that means that overtime isn't needed. But anyways, I went off on a rant there. But that's that's essentially what play action is. It's great. It's, Kyle Shanahan loves it but we just can't do it effectively because sometimes we're not good against the run or we're not running the ball as well as we should be to open that up. So they're not even going to bite for it is what you're going to say. They're not even going to, but they're going, yeah. well, and if I guess that's all he's doing, then they go, well, look guys, we all know this is just going to be a play action pass. Let's, let's drop back, you know, stack this, maybe, maybe stack four in the box, everyone else drop back. And then we'll just wait and see what happens. Cause we know he's just going to try and do this. And we, he can't, he cannot pass normally without the play action. He needs us to bite on a fake, right? He's not a Rogers that's going to sell you, you know, or sense. even an Alex Smith that, that an Alex Smith can get outside, uh, you know, he, he can get outside the pocket and buy himself some extra time and make a play downfield. He's also got excellent weapons in Kareem Hunt, Tariq Hill, and uh, Travis Kelsey. Absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Talk about self-inflicting wounds. Rashad Robinson, hit this. he's had five penalties in the last two games, and I think that really kind of illustrates the the lack of experience and this the consistent self-inflicting wounds like you're talking about. It's tough to watch. 
I know it's frustrating. I think more, you know what? It's not that frustrating to watch if you're a true 49er faithful and you've sat here every year, let's say since 2010, right? Let's say, uh, which a lot of, a lot of these fans did came back when, when Harbaugh came back and the team got really well. I was watching years before that, but so let's just say you're watching since the Harbaugh era, right? Cause that's the last big major era. So you're watching since the Harbaugh era. If you've seen the last two years, and you stuck through the last two horrific years of 49er football. There's a lot to be excited about in this team. And then you sound, but you sound crazy to Fairweather fans when you tell them that, you know, an, an 0-4 team that we're, this is actually, we look way better than last year's team. And they, they go, well, how can we look better? You're all, we're 0-4. 0-4 isn't better. But how we're playing the game, the fact that we're losing, how many games have we lost by three points, Ray? Three in a row. Three in a row. We remember last year we talked about this on the Goldcast. Last year, Chip Kelly could only give you 30 minutes of football. We were in the we were in the lead at the end of the second quarter for so many of those games. I don't remember the stat. I, I there was this, there was a big stat about it for a ton of those games. We were in the lead at the end of the second half, and then third and fourth quarter, you know, obliterated. Right now, right now, given the team that we have, Kyle Shanahan can get us there for 55 minutes of football. We just can't close out that final five minutes. We can give you 55. And if you've been watching football for the last three years, you see the difference. Those who listen to the Goldcast Nation, the 49er faithful, they know what we're talking about. It's tough. It's frustrating. Let's talk a little bit back. I want to talk more about Brian Hoyer. CJ Pathard came in briefly. You and I had a huge cheer over that. We were super pumped. And then he was pulled out again. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about that. CJ Bethard, I know people are clamoring for him. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? Do you think, should we put in CJ Bethard? Shanahan at this moment is not, but let's talk a little bit about because I know practice was a little different this week. Practice was because CJ Bethard got first team reps today for the first time throughout the regular season. He's been working with the twos primarily. So the Niners are doing this for two reasons. Number one, Kyle Shanahan already made it clear that he's not going to make a quarterback change because it's too dra- too drastic of a decision and too early in the season to be going that far. And I agree with him. Now, remember, Kyle Shanahan knows football better than any of us, knows better than any of you that are listening. And, it's going to make- and if it came down to a football decision and – God himself came down from the heavens and said, Ray, I want I want you to listen to some football advice. Would you like to listen to the entire 49er faithful or would you rather take Kyle Shanahan's advice? I would take Kyle Shanahan's advice 10 times out of 10. So the fact that he says that has some weight to it and some credibility. <laughs> and the reason why Bethard got this first team rep stays for two reasons. Number one, to put some pressure on Brian Hoare to say, hey, you can actually play a lot better than this, and you proved some of that. with flat. You've shown flashes of that throughout the season. In fact, the most flashes you've shown, which was an excellent game against the Rams, where you hung in there, you went toe-to-toe, and you put us within one point of scoring. You know, if it wasn't for the early... The early pick, you know, we could have won that game. But then at the same time, if it wasn't for the missed extra point from Robbie Gold, again, self-inflicting wounds, then we would have had a tie game. We would have gone into overtime and given us another chance to win that one. So that's that's the first reason why you're doing it. The second reason why is like, hey, if Hoyer isn't going to step up and this pressure isn't going to work, he's going to continue to kind of be up and down and flashy and streaky, then we might as well see what we've got with C.J. Beathard. But if we're going to go with C.J. Beathard, we have to start prepping him now. 
We can't just throw them into the lion's den on a ro- on a three-game road trip. We're on game two of that road trip to Indianapolis this week. And, you know, just expect him to, you know, go in there and, you know, put in a good effort. That's not going to happen. You got to give him the, you got to give him the repetitions and give him some time to gel with the players that he's going to actually be playing with on the field, which he hasn't done up to this point, which is the second reason why they've done it. So it's, it's partially a, pre, a kick in the ass for Brian Hoyer, but also an insurance in case Hoyer doesn't answer that call. Yep. Yep. I, when, well, let's put the over under at eight games halfway through the season. Where would you put over and under eight games where do you put when we say so you say CJ Bethard? I say CJ Bethard. What is it? Which is it? <laughs> is it Bethard? I think, or Bethard? I think it's Bethard. You know, if we really liked him, we'd probably just call him CJB. That'll probably be like yeah. his his like nickname if he balls out. We'd be like CJB. You heard it here first, Goldcast. So we're over. We're, let's set the over under at eight games. Where do you put that we see CJB? Well, I was thinking Hoyer was going to be was going to probably either play himself out of the starting role or lose the starting role due to injury. It's either, I I, I think I said week six when we predicted it, but it's probably more realistically because this is game four. We have game five coming up, then we have game six coming up. So if Hoyer continues to play this way, they're probably going to wait until after the road trip to give Bethard a chance. That way we give him his first, we give him another two, we give him another three weeks with uh, first team repetition rep splits with Hoyer and then give him the start three weeks from now at a home game. That would be the best bet for, I think that home game is against the Cardinals. So a team that we obviously played very well. So I think that's where we would see him if Hoyer does not play any better and doesn't produce any wins. I think if Hoyer gets a win in Indianapolis, then he's going to salvage, he's going to buy himself some time. So it's it's between week six and week eight is when we could see Beathard if Hoyer fails to do his job. Let's talk about that as well. Let's talk. Let's go to the bigger NFC West. We had a discussion with Louis Bartoni when he was here after that big Thursday night epic battle. Is it... Is it safe to say the Rams are for real? Where do you stand on the Rams? Let's, uh, well, let's, they let's, lead the league. Let's talk about in, this for a second. I, they lead the league in points scored, so th- that's saying something. You know, when you're putting up more points than the Patriots, the Green Bay Packers, and the New Orleans Saints, you know, who have kind of been the three leading teams, including Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's has been up there too. So, and they've done it for like, you know, several weeks now. But the point is, can you beat the big dogs? You know, Dallas just emerged last year, so they haven't necessarily been a big dog, you know, a really big dog. They're kind of a new dog is how I would classify them. So them beating Dallas, which has no defense, is no big surprise, really. Well, it's kind of a surprise. But um, let's see if they can beat the actual playoff contenders, the big, the ones that are going to be playing, you know, AFC, NFC championship, those caliber of teams that are going to make it to second and third round into the playoffs. Well, okay, so going into that, we've got, let's see here, Cowboys just just happened, right? They've only lost one game so far. Then we've got Seahawks coming here, followed by in Jacksonville, Arizona comes here i live in la as as you guys all know that's why i'm saying here uh comes to jackson they're going to be in jacksonville cardinals here giants eh, 
So you've got, okay, so here's the teams. You've got Jaguars, Cardinals, Giants, Texans, Vikings, Saints. That run in the middle, well, sorry, I'm sorry, Seahawks, Jags, Cardinals, followed by Texans, Vikings. Those are some pretty, pretty tough defenses all the way across. This will be the real test for them is this next run. Uh, all of October through basically halfway through November. The Giants are pretty horrific. Um, they are in New York. I'd never like when a team, a West Coast team is traveling east. But you've got, yeah, Seahawks at Jags, home for the Cardinals, at New York, home for the Texans, at Minnesota. That is uh that is not a uh that's not an easy schedule. We'll Followed see what the, the tough stretch or whatever. Says. Uh Cardinals. The tough yeah, the tough stretch will be a lot. Then the last four games are Eagles, Seahawks, Titans, Niners. I'm going to the one on December thirty first for the 49ers. I'm super pumped about that. I will be there. But yeah, you've got yeah, you've got Cardinals, Eagles, Seahawks, Titans, Niners. That it's a tough schedule. It gets much more intense after this for them. The Cowboys was the start of it, and that was, you know, they, they did well. But this next stretch will definitely, we're going to know by, we're going to know by November if the team, this team is for real. But that was my hot take that they'd be second. Now my hot take is that they might be first. I, oh, man, that makes me so They mad. might be first. No, I also made a mistake with the Niners schedule because next week we go to Washington. That's going to be a really tough game. Washington's playing really good, but then we come home to host the Cowboys, and it is, and then we go back on the road to Philadelphia. Then we come back home and host the Cardinals. So that's a tough little stretch right there between those three teams. Cowboys are beatable. I mean, they're they're really really exploit. Not to go off on on a, on a rant to cut you off with with what you were no, saying. No, 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 do it, do it. But I think uh, the Cowboys are beatable. They've they've been very they've been. They've been exploited this year on the defensive side of the football, even more so than last year. I feel like last year they had a surprise. You know, whenever you have players that don't have scouting reports on them, it's very difficult in the NFL to game plan against them. So, and the the Cowboys just happen to have the the best you know the best duo of players that you would have a tough time scheming against, and that's running back and quarterback. So when you have both those rookies playing at the level that they're playing, it's really hard to to, to, to scheme against those two players. Now the league is starting to catch up them. You can see that as Dallas is not as potent as they were last year because one of the reasons is they don't have the element of, element of surprise now. Teams have all caught up. And as we saw, a team like the Rams, you know, who was – you know, very as as irrelevant as we were last year. It now, you know, made a made a surprising upset last week. So we'll see how they do. But I think Washington's going to be a tough game. I'd be very surprised if we came out of that game with a win, considering they just lost a really tough, close game to Kansas City, which is a complete, a very complete team. And we're playing. Redskins in Washington, so I think they're going to be looking for redemption in a couple weeks. We'll see how they do this week. Um, I do think the Cowboys are beatable, though. The Eagles, the Eagles, Eagles are playing well too. It's, that's a tough one. I really, this could be like a, this. We might come out of these next games. I would say two, two and six. I'm not sure we get past Washington or Philadelphia, but there is a good chance we give uh, the Cowboys and Cardinals a run for their money. We might, and we definitely ha- looking having revenge uh, in our sights against the Cardinals at home. 
So, and the New York Giants are nothing special this year, so that could be back-to-back wins. Uh, who knows what that happens. And the Seahawks, again, we only lost to them by three points, and we gave them a good run for our money. By then, we'll have Reuben Foster back into the lineup. He'll obviously be back sooner than that, sooner than that hopefully. And once Foster gets back into the lineup, this defense becomes even more elite. Um, well, it's not even elite right now. They're playing really solid football right now. They've been playing really good all year, much better than last year. But with Foster in the lineup, that really helps us nudge towards more in a more elite level because then you have playmakers. You know, you have a playmaker in the middle tier to really help Bowman out who clearly can't do it all himself, especially not now with his ACL, uh, you know, kind of losing a lot of speed that he used to have. He's still potent in the run game, but we've seen some missed tackles from him this year. He's just not quite himself. Not sure if it's injuries or mental or a combination of the two, but he definitely needs some assistance there and fosters the perfect remedy for that. Man, it's going to be a long one. Listen, did we call it or did we call it? Did we not say at the beginning of the year? All 49 are faithful. It's kind of like what Aaron Rodgers said last year. Relax. Everybody just relax, okay? We all knew it was going to be here. We tried telling you guys, if you're a listener to this Goldcast, and you should be because you're listening now, we told you guys it was going to be a long season. I said four games. Raymond said between four and six, leaning towards six. But this is what we expected. I warned this. I warned the Goldcast Nation repeatedly. I warned you guys repeatedly. Brian Hoyer is not good. And we had me and Ray had a lot of talks about it and, and it's come to fruition. But just just be patient. We just have to get through this season because around the corner is greener pastures. And they're, they're gonna obviously they're they're gonna pick up a quarterback in free agency, possibly Kirk Cousins, who, as much as I'm not the biggest fan of him, has been playing, you know, pretty well. As you know, it took him a little while to get revved this year, but you know, his last couple of games have been pretty strong. And it could be Kirk Cousins or someone out of the draft, but either way, either way, we just got to get through one more season, and then next year we'll start competing again. The Rams make me nervous. They look really, really good, and the NFC West has never been more vulnerable for a taking over. You're seeing a whole changing of the guard in the entire NFL right now. You know, you're seeing the changing of the guard all over the place. New teams are rising, and these will be the teams for the next ten years. You know, we're already seeing it beginning to happen. I agree with you. Dallas looks pretty vulnerable. They have exposed that once impenetrable offensive line. I think Ezekiel Elliott is is really. I think not only is he you know struggling physically, I think he's struggling mentally over having this court decision hanging over his head. Um, and it might be a good learning lesson for him because I don't think he's necessarily carried himself as professionally as I would want to. I would want him to if he was a 49er, but luckily he's not a 49er. So, all right, Ray, let's let's switch directions here. Uh, D Wade, we haven't had a chance to comment on this. D Wade to the Cavs, uh, the the Miami Heat reunion in Cleveland. What do you think about it? What are your thoughts? I'm going to start with me first. D Wade has really struggled to play a whole season at a high level. He's had a couple postseason uh, appearances recently that looked pretty good, but now he's going to be on the Cavs. I, I think it adds more depth to the bench. I If they get to the finals, I just don't know if D-Wade's ready for something like the Warriors. He has not played anything like the Warriors in the post. He's never competed against a team like that. Where does that put them? And do you think that still puts them, it just, you know, elongates the gap between them and Boston. What are your thoughts on D-Wade? Well, he is old and... He's been playing at a high level for a long time, although I still think, like, even some of his late 
all-star selections like the last three years. I don't even think those are deserving. They're more like they're more like um, like honorable mentions than actual legitimate all-stars with him, in my opinion. Kind of like Kobe, no like Kobe was given. Yeah, Kobe was given a all-star pass in his retirement year, not because he actually played well, but because it was like, hey, thanks for you know, thanks for your crazy twenty-year run. Here's an all-star, you know, as you go out the door, which to me is crap, in my opinion. But I mean, Dway did did average twenty-one points three years ago. His points have dipped since then. That was the kind of the highest. You know, obviously his best season was in uh, 08, 09 when he averaged 30 points a game, but he's really gone downhill since, averaging 26.6 the year after that, 25.5, 22.1, 21.2, 19. Then he came back up 21.5, but then 19 points a game. And last year it was 18.3 points a game. You know, the that's the lowest he's been since he was a rookie. His rookie year he scored 16.2 points a game. So, I mean, this is a guy that's clearly on the twilight of his career he can't sustain the same amount of minutes that he did. Uh, even, you know, he played less than 30 minutes a game last year or average less than 30 minutes a game last year. This is a guy that's not a three-point threat, so you're not you're not necessarily doing yourself any favors by trying to, you know, model yourself after the Warriors' three-point, you know, three-point uh, formula. And that was what they tried to do last year and they actually became the best three-point shooting team in the NBA didn't necessarily do them any favors in the postseason, though, at least against the Warriors. And with D. Wade, I think it I think it's a solid pick because he's obviously a good player. He's gonna get you double digits, whether he's starting or off the bench. I would imagine he's probably going to start and you would put J.R. Smith on the bench somewhere he's been comfortable with before. All three of these players know each other. I'm sure that J.R. Smith would be more than happy to give up his starting role to D. Wade. I'm sure that's not going to be an issue. You know, again, the point, uh, I think the the real issues in the point guard position and D. Wade, I don't necessarily, a combination of D. Wade, J.R. Smith is never a bad thing. But the question is, at this point in his career, he's going to be, you know, 36 this year or, you know, coming into this season. I'm not sure, you know, is his body going to hold up? You know, is is he going to be going to be able to sustain a full season? I I have my doubts considering he's never played 82 games in his entire career. Um, even his, uh, you know, his two best seasons, which was when he was with LeBron, that's when he played 79, 77, and 76 games throughout that time. But then since then, he's played 49, 69, 53, 62, 73 59. Um, so this is a guy that's not going to, you know, he's not going to last, you know, he's going to get injured. That, that I think that's a foregone conclusion. He's going to get injured. Derek Rose would probably get injured. Who knows how Isaiah Thomas's hips are going to hold up. We don't know what the outcome is. He still has youth on his side, but we don't necessarily know how well that's going to carry him into the season. He is 28, 29. So he is kind of a little bit on the older side in comparison to, you know, his trade, his trade partner over in Boston. So, but we'll see, you know, I think, um, I think Cleveland's going to be dealing with, you know, age issues, you know, they're, they're giving veteran leadership and veteran efficiency, you know, in exchange for durability and longevity. So, and, you know, they've been to three straight finals, just like the Warriors have. And if there's anyone who's really, really good at managing minutes in order to preserve player health 
and player fitness, it is Steve Kerr, not Tyron Lue. So I think I think the Cavs will be in trouble long term later in the season. You know, I would say probably maybe winter time. So this is more like February, March, April is when we'll kind of start seeing some of that some of that age come into a play. But I mean, but what do you think? I mean, that's my thoughts. But I mean, I don't know what you think. I think he's just he's freaking old. <laughs> <laughs> he's freaking old. No, I I mean, you said it. I, I said I I said my thoughts in the beginning. I he adds depth, but it's not a kill shot. Nothing nothing the Cleveland Cavaliers have done this off summer this uh, during the off summer is a kill shot. Nothing's a kill shot. Uh, Kevin Durant, that was a kill shot. And Cleveland has just not managed to he they haven't been able to do that. In fact, they lost one of their biggest kill shots. They lost a kill shot. They were on the they were on the uh, they were on the giving end, not the receiving end of the kill shot. They uh, Kyrie going to Boston. That was the kill shot for Boston. That was they did their kill shot. They shot it at Cleveland right there. Boom. So it adds depth. Again, it, it, you've got so you've got Crowder, D Wade. Isaiah Thomas and uh, what's his name from Chicago? I can't believe we're running a blank on. Uh, Derek Rose. Not D Wade. I know he was in Chicago too. What's his Derek Rose? Yeah, you got De- man Derek Rose. How far? How far are we fallen? I love that guy. I loved that kid. Man, that's how forgettable so he is now. For that like instant. Oh, gosh, I know it hurts. I really liked him. I really did. I actually thought he was going to be the savior for Chicago. When he won the MVP, I thought, wow, we, we're on the cusp of something real special here. And then it, he just kind of went, he went the RG3 road and just couldn't get healthy. I just, I look at that, I look at that group, I look at that quartet of, of Isaiah Thomas, D. Wade, Crowder, and Derrick Rose, and I just ask myself, I mean, is that enough? Is that really enough? Like you said, it's a lot of age. Crowder, didn't have a good year last year. I think Derrick Rose has been pretty mediocre at best for a while now. And D-Wade has had some flashes in the post. But as you said, he's really struggled. You know, health has always been an issue. And his ability to stay on the court for a full season, it's never come to fruition. The only real one is Isaiah Thomas. But that hip injury, man, that's just brutal. And he's going to come back into the middle of the season, like mid-season, when these guys are all already gunned and primed and you know that's going to his preseason is going to be the NBA's midseason so how long is it going to take him to acclimate and then again you get back to the same position that we talked about before where Cleveland is was already defensively extremely inefficient who is D Wade going to go back there and play defense on these guys just Crowder I guess if you have Isaiah Thomas in that lineup it puts you at a 4 on 5 which the Warriors are going to completely expose I still believe Cleveland probably goes back. I think this will be their toughest year. I think this is gonna. This might end up being LeBron's toughest year to get back. I think Boston is going to prove to be very, a very formidable opponent. And Brad Stevens is an excellent coach. And if anybody can pull out Kyrie, get the defense out of him, get him to play to his maximum potential, it's Brad Stevens. So it's going to be interesting for the Cleveland. I'm really curious to see how this experiment's going to work. You know, LeBron is also not always the easiest athlete to get along with. I mean, and people swear by LeBron. They do. But then there's also no there's also no sidestepping the fact that he is a, he expects a lot and he can be tough to play with. And sometimes, you know, if you're not delivering at the level that he wants, he'll air it out on Twitter and kind of disgrace you on social media until you step back up. And it's not always the healthiest way to run your team. And I 
I get why people love him, but just from the outside looking in, sometimes it, it, that doesn't—he doesn't look like the kind of leader I'd want to play for. I mean, straight up. And I—I I mean, no disrespect. They—he's done—he's very successful career, one of the greatest athletes in the game. This isn't like a bash LeBron or he's a shitty leader conversation. I'm just saying that his leadership style isn't something that I would want to be a part of. And I know D Wade's been a part of it before, but he was the leader. So now the roles are reversed, and I don't think that's going to be a hard transition for him. I think you know because he's in his twilight. He is going to succumb easier, but I, I don't. I don't know. If I was from Cleveland, I wouldn't be super excited. I I would try to look at the positive, but this group versus the Warriors. The Warriors got better. I don't know if you can say Cleveland got better. I I, I feel like they have put pieces around themselves to make up for the fact that Kyrie is gone, but I'm not going to say that they got better. No way. Not even close. I, at least, well, I shouldn't say not even close. I think. They did get. They got marginally better. It was more like, I would say, they either they, they added took, depth. They took one step forward and about two steps back, is how I would put it. Yeah, yeah. Or 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 maybe maybe like one step forward, one sidestep, one step back. You know what I mean? Like they kind of went. Yeah. Either way, you know, I they it, the optimistically they broke even at best. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Well, I hope we get to play them again. I would love to see the Warriors uh, smash them to the ground in four games. I think that'd be amazing. We'll see. All right, so moving on, uh, one of our final topics of the evening. Matt Cain has retired. The Matt Cain. Man, this is... So put on your Giants cap for a second, guys. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Matt Cain. And first of all, I'll say thank you to Matt Cain. Man, he was, in 2010, the perfect sidekick or counterbalance the the Batman to the Robin or the Superman to the Robin of Tin Lincecum. And I felt like he really carried the team in 2012. I remember watching that perfect game. I I remember just, he was so calm. He was just cool as ice. And it's interesting because in 2010, I remember I was at the World Series in 2010. I was at game one. And I remember during that season, during that post, Bum Garner was one of the pitchers I would get a little nervous about when he was up there. He wasn't, you know, the he was he played great in that post, and the stats show that. But leading up to the post, I was nervous about him. But the two guys I wasn't was Tim Lincecum and Matt Cain. And Matt Cain was just a rock. Very quiet, very silent. I mean, Bum Garner is their similar personalities a little bit in, in that respect. And I remember that his 2010 campaign was crazy and his 2012 was just off the hook. And he really, really impressed me. He's a, he's a pitcher that I'll remember for a long, long time and someone that I thought uh, I was just sad to see after he got his big contract, he was never able to really recapture his health, you know, of course, after you get paid. But he earned his money. And I, I just wanted to say thank you, Matt Cain. Ray, what are your thoughts? What more can you say? He's got three all-star appearances, three rings. You know, two of those all-stars were 2011, 2012. Obviously, his best year, he's 16 and five, ended up being one of the big, if not the biggest hero during our World Series run in that year. You know, I think he got he got a ring for 2014, but he was, you know, he 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 gave up. He gave up his career, obviously not intentionally by conscious choice, but he gave up his career to, you know, give us the glory in 2012 after, you know, playing a, you know, a serviceable role in the 2010 championship team. So it's, I don't, I, 
I'm not a huge Matt Cain fan, but the guy played 12 years for the Giants, and he's been a Giant his entire career. Super rare in baseball, super, super rare, especially in this era. You know, there's no salary cap, so, and now All-Stars are starting to creep up into the $300,000, salary range if you're, if you're that good, so, which is ridiculous if you ask me, but. At the same time, he earned his money, and unfortunately, you know, he was eight and ten the following year, and he just injuries just could not keep him on the field. So, you know, it was a good run though. From age twenty to thirty-two, you know, you're set for life financially. You have three World Series rings, you have three All Star um, trophies in your in your case. You know, you don't have anything to be ashamed of. You know what I mean? It's, it's really hard to, to get one ring, let alone three, you know, so that would be an easy trade off for me. So this guy was also rookie of the year, you know, or, or a rookie of the year candidate. Oh yeah. I think he finished, he finished fifth in the voting in 2006 and I think he was a Cy Young candidate. He was a Cy Young candidate in 2010, 2011, and 2012. So he's been in the voting. You know, he's been just one of those pitchers. So that's that's always been you know cons- considered. So um, so kudos. Thank you for Matt Cain. Thank you for 12 awesome years. You're gonna go down as a giant legend for sure, especially when you basically give up your career for a championship. There is no better sacrifice. No, not at all gives me chills thank you matt kane yeah that's some that's, i i loved him i loved him from 2010 to 12 i was just like wow this guy's a machine really awesome so before we end ray i want you to guess what do you think are the odds this week i'm going to say since the colts actually have a win i'm going to put the colts probably at they're probably three point spread Three point, uh, three point favors, three point in favor of them. Very close. Vegas does not trust Indianapolis at all. They are one and a half point favorites. <laughs> one wow. and a half point favorite. One and a half. Oh point man, I know. And if Who there's any game win? that we do win this year, it's gonna be against Indianapolis. Their quarterback is still not ready. He's not gonna be ready anytime soon. If there's any chance that we've got coming off of these three close close wins this is the one where we pull it off not necessarily because we are destined to turn things around but because the Colts are just that shitty the Colts are legitimately (laughs) shitty oh man yeah they are legitimately really shitty uh Raymond before we conclude where can they find you you can find me at twitter.com at Ray Solis. You can also find me on Instagram at Ray Solis one Boom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rudy Solis third, Rudy Solis three RD. So concludes another edition of the gold cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis the third. And with me is my brother, my co-host Raymond Solis the first baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time. Same gold cast channel. This is, is the gold cast.